Hey everybody, it's Pastor Brian from Mount Hope's Belmont campus. I appreciate you listening to our podcast. This sermon you're about to hear is from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. We talk a little bit about unity in the church, how diversity is important, and how we should welcome each other well. I hope you enjoy it, and here it is. Listen closely, because I believe God has something that he wants to say to you. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. This is what Paul writes. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I said at the beginning of this service, I I asked you a question. I said, why are you here this morning? And then we said that the primary purpose of us gathering, no matter how we feel coming in, really the primary purpose of us being here in this place as a church, as a congregation, as the body of Christ, is so that we might come together and glorify God. Now, many of us come in for different reasons. We say, you know, I'm coming, I want to feel better. Uh, I'm coming because I'm hoping to learn something that will help me in my daily life. I'm coming because I I need some uplifting. I'm coming because I looked at the things I did this week and I'm trying to balance those things out. I'm coming because I think maybe God has a big attendance chart in heaven that he's putting gold stars on each week and I want to make sure I'm getting my gold stars. There's many reasons why we might walk into this room. But once we're here... We're gathered that we might glorify God. Paul says in these verses that sometimes when people who are followers of Jesus gather, there is something that occurs within that gathering that actually robs God of some of his glory. Paul says there's something that occurs when people who say they follow Jesus get together When the church gathers, not just the local church like us here in this building, but also the church universally, throughout the world, there's something that happens when Christians gather that can actually end up robbing God of his glory and work against the very reason that we got together in the first place. 
A couple of years ago, uh, the marketing and leadership guru named Seth Godin, he writes the airport books, of which I am so fond, Seth Godin wrote a little book called Tribes. And in that book, he makes the argument that more than ever before, you and I in this world are all divided up into different tribes. And things like the internet have, have only helped with this. And this is how he defines tribes. I know there's many definitions of, of that word that might come through your head, but here's how uh, Seth Godin defines the word tribes. He says, a tribe is any group of people, large or small, who are connected to one another, a leader, and an idea. A tribe is any group of people, large or small, who are connected to one another, a leader, and an idea. So Seth Godin makes the point, and yes, that is Seth Godin there, he makes the point that we're part of many tribes, and tribes can be formed around many things. For instance, our personalities create tribes. When I find people who laugh at the same things I laugh at, and I find people who cry at the same things I cry at, I find people who are passionate about the same things I'm passionate about, inevitably we will form a tribe. And it might be something that's, um, that's just sort of happens, that's not real organized or put together, or maybe we become so passionate about those things that, that we end up forming a group on Facebook or something like that, where we're more organized about our passions and our personalities. We form tribes around shared experience. So maybe the people I work with become a tribe because we all have this experience of working at the same place at the same time and on the same thing. Maybe you take a vacation with a group of people and you form a sort of tribe. And anytime you see those people 10, 15, 20 years down the road, the thing that you talk about is you talk about that vacation you went on because that's what you have together. And in that moment, you formed a sort of tribe around that. So tribes form around our personalities, they form around our shared experiences, they form around our likes and our dislikes, people that love a certain TV show, if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, or you're a fan of Breaking Bad, or you're a fan of Seinfeld, or you're a fan of a certain show, tribes form around those shows, and the same things with movies and other things, tribes form. People who are passionate about Apple products have a tribe. People who are passionate about Windows products if they exist, have a tribe, right? And tribes form around all sorts of things. And so he makes that point. Now, here's the thing. Is all of us are part of some sort of tribe. Tribes form around all those things I've mentioned. They also form around our background, where we come from, how we were raised, our ethnicity, our socioeconomic status, our, our, our part of the country in which we were raised. Tribes form. If I go to Florida tomorrow and I'm walking through Florida and I meet someone and they have a Patriots t-shirt on and I say, hey, where do you live? And they say, I live just outside of Boston. I would say, hey, we have a connection. Let's talk about that for a minute. We're part of the same tribe. We both live there. If I'm walking through Florida and I meet someone who lives in Boise, no connection. Maybe around potatoes, I don't know, but really harder to make that connection. There are certain tribes that we feel like we're a part of, and I wonder for you this morning, what kind of tribes are you a part of? Your likes, your dislikes, the shows you watch, the movies you watch, the music you listen to, what tribes do you fall into, the products you use? What tribes are you a part of? Here's what happens in the church. We all walk into this place, and none of us leave our tribes at the door. 
all of our personalities, all of our likes, all of our dislikes, all of our different backgrounds. Some of us were raised in very different parts of this country. Some of us were raised in very different parts of this world. And we all come together and we walk into this place and none of us leave our tribe at the door. We bring it all into this place with us. And in the church at Rome, this is exactly what was happening. Two very different tribes were coming together in the church in Rome, and they were coming together, and Paul was saying, Paul's saying to them, and he's saying to us, there is something that can happen when tribes come together in the same place to give God glory. There, are, there is something that can happen in that moment. When all of our personalities and all our likes and dislikes and all the places that we fall on the rungs of society and all of those things come together, there is something that can happen that will either give God greater glory or will rob God of his glory. And the warning that he's giving to the church in Rome is he's saying, you guys are all coming together and you know what you're doing? You're coming together to glorify God, but the way you're coming together is actually robbing God of some of his glory. And so Paul gives the church a very specific exhortation, a very specific command, a very specific to-do to put on their list. And this is what he says. When you come together in the church, from all your different tribes, likes, dislikes, personalities, backgrounds, everything, welcome one another. And now you may hear that and you may say, well, that's not really that earth-shattering. That sounds pretty simple. That's an easy one to keep. We'll do that, Pastor. When we come in with all our differences, we will welcome each other, all right? So let's sing a song and wrap this thing up and have a cup of coffee and we'll get out of here. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Tribes, in our tribes, are inherently territorial. That's the challenge we face. Tribes are inherently territorial. And we're not very good at welcoming in other people who are parts of different tribes. Now, we might be at peace with other people. I might say to somebody, oh, you, you know, you're really passionate about, um, about uh, you know, using... Apple products, and I'm, I'm passionate about using other products, and that's fine. We'll stay at peace with each other. I don't have any ill will towards you, but staying at peace with a different tribe is very different than welcoming each other in. And I don't know that we're necessarily as good at this as we like to think that we are. In fact, I want to suggest to you this morning that we might actually be much worse at it than we like to think we are. We like to think in our world that we're very accepting and very welcoming. But what I think we're good at is we're good at trying to keep peace with other kinds of people, but not so good as welcoming people in. There's a journalist for Time Magazine named Lance Morrow. And a couple years ago, he wrote a book on evil. And in the book, he talks about his quest to see if there was a single type of humor that's consistent across all cultures. 
So we know this, right? If you, something's funny in the United States and you take it to a different country, it's probably not going to be funny there. Humor is, is culturally specific. And so he set out on this quest, and he reached out, he said, to all the different headquarters for Time Magazine around the world, and there are many. So he went to you know, South America, and he went to Europe, and he went to Asia, and he looked all over the place, and he asked them, is there something that's consistent that all cultures find funny? And he, he writes in his book that there's one type of joke that every single culture has, no matter where you come from, no matter where you grew up, people tell this kind of joke, and people think it's funny. And he said the joke that's universal to every single culture is the joke that if you grew up in the United States, you might understand as the Polish joke. That's the joke that's universal. I remember a few years ago, we were, uh, had a, we were lucky enough to go on a, on a vacation, and we were in Sweden. And we were on this boat ride in Sweden. And we were just outside of Stockholm there, and it's really beautiful there. There's hundreds of islands, and this boat was going in between the islands, and you know, a lady was on the microphone there telling us all sorts of stuff about the islands, and all I could think is, I think Tiger Woods owns a house around here somewhere. And we're going through, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she said, we have a little bit of extra time. Let's tell some jokes. Now, here's something you may not know about me. My last name is Krogh. Well, it, at one point, it was Von Krogh, all right? We were a big deal back in the day, and we were Von Krogh. So <laughs> that name comes from Norway. Now, I have no ties to my Nordic heritage other than I know someone told me that it's my last name. I've never been to Norway. I don't really, uh, I'm not, I don't, you know, other people are, are clo have closer ties to that heritage than I do. I don't speak uh, any Norwegian. I don't eat that, that much fish. I, it's not something that I really find you know, that, that compelling in my life. But I'm sitting on this boat, and this woman uh, says, we have some time, let's tell some jokes. And so she says, how about some Norwegian jokes? And I thought to myself, well, that's odd. And she got on the microphone and started telling the same jokes that we would tell as Polish jokes. And I was shocked by that. And so she said, how do you confuse a Norwegian? You put them in a circle room and tell them to find the corner. And she went on and on and told all those same types of jokes that we would tell about the other. And I thought to my, and there was something inside of me that even though I don't identify at all, I'm not, I'm not, it's not necessarily like the first thing I identify with is that I have a last name that's Norwegian. There was something inside of me that didn't really like what was happening on that boat. And Lance Morrow says that's the joke that's universal. Finding the person who's outside of our tribe and making fun of them, that's the joke that everybody knows. He says, in fact, on the island of Grenada, down in the Caribbean, one side of the island has jokes that they tell about the other side of the island and vice versa. So even in this tiny island nation, which is 133 kilometers across, one side of the island is making jokes about the other side of the island because they're in two very different tribes. And we think this is funny, don't we? We tell jokes about people who are outside of our tribe. We still do it. That thing that happened in the lunchroom where you took your tray and you set it down on a table and all of a sudden everybody at the table looked at you and you could tell in their eyes that you had about three seconds to move your tray to another table before things got messy, that thing never really goes away. We know what tribe we're a part of. 
We know who's in our group and who's outside of our group. And that thing never stops. And we can, we can be at peace with different groups. We say, well, I like those people, but they're not really a part of us. They're not really welcomed in. Welcoming people in is a whole different deal. And I think that we think that we're pretty good about this in the, in the United States. And in our culture, this is something that we excel at, is welcoming all types of people. I don't know if anyone caught any of the election coverage over the past 20 months, but we were not very good at doing this. We all have our groups that we fall into. And even in this room, there's probably very different groups when it comes to the last 20 months. And we're not very good when all that stuff's thrown out on the table of truly welcoming each other and connecting. So here's what we do. A man named Eli Pariser wrote a book a few years ago and has a TED Talk around what he calls filter bubbles. And he says, more and more in our culture, what we do is rather than engage each other across our tribes and welcome each other, we create filter bubbles. And websites like Facebook and Google do this for us. They know us so well that when we log into our accounts, they tailor our search results and our news feeds and our friendships to fit everything that we like and everything that we want to hear. So if you were to log into Facebook and I were to log into Facebook, the things that we would see in the news feed would be very different because Facebook tailors the whole thing to what we like and what we want to see. And what we're doing, he says, is we're just creating bubbles around us so that we're only engaging with the people that we think, like, that think like us. And it creates the illusion that we're creating a world that's truly welcoming and truly inclusive. And the same illusion can exist in the church, can't it? We can come together in the sanctuary and we can pretend like all of us are coming together and we all are one big happy family, but we know the reality is that within the room there exist a number of different subgroups and a number of different tribes. And we might be at peace with each other, but we're not very good at welcoming each other in. This is exactly what was happening in Rome. Two big tribes in the church at Rome, you might have heard Paul mention them. There were the Jewish people who had been God's people for thousands of years. It was always them and Yahweh, always them and God. And when Jesus came, some of the Jews believed that he was the Messiah and decided to follow him. And so they, they formed the church in Rome. And now there were all these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, the people that had always been a part of a different tribe, the people who had always been other to the Jewish people. And vice versa. To the Gentiles, the Jewish people had always been others. In fact, the Roman world that the Gentiles controlled was not too kind to the Jewish people many times. And so you have Gentile people now beginning to follow Jesus Christ. And they all walk into the room. And they're all supposed to be the church. And what was happening is they were beginning to fight within themselves and it was creating tension because neither one of the tribes was willing to truly welcome the other people into their tribe. And Paul comes together and he says, listen, this cannot be. It cannot be that you get together and you just pretend like you're one giant happy family when everybody knows that inside of the family there is tension and there is fighting. You have to learn to welcome each other well, not just live at peace with each other, 
Not just tolerate each other, but welcome each other well. And now why would Paul say this? Why is Paul so passionate about this? Why spend the last three chapters of the book of Romans really talking about this big issue of unity within the body of Christ? Why didn't Paul say this? Why didn't Paul write this letter and say, listen, I understand there's some people in Rome from different backgrounds who all follow Jesus. Here's what I suggest you do. I suggest all the Jewish people who follow Christ get together, buy a building, and form the first Jewish Christian church of Rome. And then I suggest that all you Gentiles who are following Jesus get together, buy a building, and you form the first Gentile Christian church of Rome. And then you can meet in your own buildings with your own people and just follow Jesus the way that you want to. Why wouldn't Paul say that? Why would Paul be insistent that these two groups of people, these two tribes, these two people, and this isn't just like they like different TV shows. This is entrenched in their heritage and in their background and the way that they were raised, the ways their grandpa lived and the way that, that his grandpa lived for generations. This has been entrenched. Why would Paul be so insistent that these people come together and they welcome each other as one? Well, Paul gives two reasons, and they're both right there in verse 7, and this is what Paul says. He says, the first reason you should welcome each other is because you need to remember that you have a shared identity, that if you follow Jesus Christ and I follow Jesus Christ, no matter where I come from and no matter what I've done and no matter what my background is and no matter how much I have or don't have, no matter what I like or dislike, no matter what my personality is like, if you and I both follow Jesus Christ, then you and I have a shared identity. You and I are part of a tribe that supersedes any other tribe that we may be a part of. Paul says there right at the beginning of verse 7, He says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And the truth is, there are groups of people. There are people that you might even be able to think of who are part of the same church as you. There are people that are difficult for us to love and difficult for us to accept and difficult for us to truly welcome in, aren't there? And whether that's because we just come from very different worlds, whether that's because our personalities are so different, whether that's because we have very different ideas on how the church should operate on a Sunday morning, whatever those reasons, there are just certain people that we know who follow Jesus that may not be in the room or people that we know who follow Jesus that are in the room that are just really difficult for us to welcome. And Paul says in that moment, when you stop welcoming one another, you are forgetting that in spite of personalities and likes and dislikes and television shows and movies and your background and your heritage, there is a deeper shared identity. You are part of a bigger tribe that is more important than anything else you may be a part of. And when you forget that, you actually work against the very reason Jesus came. The reason Paul quotes all those Old Testament verses that we read is because he's telling the people, sure, Jesus Christ came for the Jewish people. He's your Messiah. But don't forget, there are plenty of places in the Old Testament where it's prophesied that he's also coming for those who are not Jewish, that he's also coming for the Gentile, that he's also coming for the other so that all may have the opportunity to believe. And let us not forget that there's not a single person on the face of this earth even if they cut you off in traffic, who Jesus did not die for. And when we forget that, 
When we forget that every single person that we run into is someone for whom Jesus Christ died, someone that God loves, and someone that God desires would come and have a relationship with him, we become much less welcoming to other people. We just get to live in our filter bubbles and in our tribes and be at peace with everybody else, but not truly welcome them in. We can create a little world where we don't have to deal with all those other people. And we can still feel good about what we're doing. And Paul says, when you do that, when you come together as the church, but inside that church, there's all sorts of different subgroups that don't truly welcome each other in, that there are people who, even if there's 100 people in the room, are completely lonely on a Sunday morning, when you have that sort of situation happening, you're actually working against the purpose for Christ's coming for all people. So don't forget, Paul says, that you have a shared identity in Christ. And the second thing that he says is you need to welcome each other in because it gives God glory. This is how he finishes verse 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We come together to give God glory. And when we exist as a bunch of separate tribes and a bunch of separate individuals just coming together and worshiping God on our own, we rob God of glory. There's this movement that's happening in the church right now. Places like the Barna Group and Pew Research Center call it the rise of the nuns. And it's people who, uh, some people would say, you know, I believe in God. I'm a spiritual person. But I have no need for any sort of restrictions of anything organized. So I believe, but I'm, I'm on my own. I'm not affiliated with anything. I'm a nun, N-O-N-E. And so I'm not, I believe, but I'm just not affiliated, and I can listen to the music I want, and I can listen to the speakers I want, I can talk to the people who think like me, and, and that's the best way for me to express my faith. And Paul says, you're actually robbing God of glory when you divide yourself in that way. Here's how it happens. The other night, my wife and I were out to dinner at, at a restaurant, and um, it was a, a rare night. Because our children uh, were being watched by my in-laws, God bless them. And so it was just the two of us uh, sitting at a table. And as we were sitting at this table in this restaurant, this whole scene was in, uh, unfolding around us. To my left and Lori's right, there was this family. They had four children, all under the age of five or six, it looked like for us, to us. And the most amazing thing we've ever seen happen was happening. We have two children, and I can assure you, what was happening at this table does not often happen at our table. The 18-month-old, and the two-and-a-half-year-old, and the four-year-old, and the five- or six-year-old were all sitting quietly, no tablets, no phones, eating their food for like an hour. And the parents were sitting there quietly, just having conversation, talking to one another, and the whole family sat there for like an hour and 15 minutes. It was the most unbelievable thing either one of us had ever seen. And so we, we were so impressed that my wife, before we left the restaurant, went over to the table and said to them, we think you're the greatest parents we've ever seen in our entire lives. <laughs> we didn't leave the restaurant without going over to the table and telling them how unbelievable we thought it was. And what happened was the actions of the children reflected on the parents. We thought they were great parents because their kids were so well-behaved at dinner. 
Now, to my right and Lori's left on the other side of the restaurant, a very different scene was unfolding. And man, I sympathize with these folks. They had one child. He didn't really feel like eating out that night. I don't know, he was probably three or four, and just he didn't want to. And so he expressed himself the same way a normal three or four-year-old would express themselves, and they don't want to do anything. A lot of kicking and crying and screaming, throwing food and running away from the table. In fact, almost took a waiter out at one point. And the parents were not happy with this. They weren't just letting it happen. They were frustrated about this. And, and, but here's the thing. I look at that situation, and I say to myself, I don't know if I have much to learn from those people. Because the action of the child reflects on the parents. Now, I know exactly what it's like to be in both those situations. And I know there's been times where I've been out and my kids, a miracle happens and they're holding hands and they're behaving. And, and people are like, wow, they must be great parents. And there's other times where our kids are losing their minds. They don't want to get in their car seat. They don't want to do anything. And people probably look at us and be like, those people could use a parenting class. They don't have their act together. Because the actions of the children reflect on the parents. We are the children of God. And when we get together but act as individuals, when we get together and live in our little tribes, that reflects upon our God and upon our Father. The world is watching us. And when we can't mix ourselves ethnically, and when we can't mix ourselves socioeconomically, and when we can't mix ourselves with all our likes and dislikes and different ideas and different beliefs, when we can't come together as one under Jesus Christ, as a part of this larger tribe that matters more than any other tribe that we're a part of, when we can't do that, the world watches and the world sees, and when we're fighting and living as individuals and not coming together as the tribe unified by Jesus Christ, the world watches and the world says... What do I need a father like that for? I, I've, got that in my, I've got plenty of tension in my own life already. Why do I need to follow a God that just creates more of that? Paul says when you come together and you get over those things because of your oneness in Christ, you know how rare it would be for Jews and Gentiles to gather unified, to worship together? When the world sees that happen, Paul says, not in your own separate church buildings, but when you come together as one in Christ, God will be glorified. And the world that's watching will say, I need to be a part of that because there's a love and a, and a welcoming that's being expressed there that I never experienced anywhere else. That must be a great God. That must be a great love. That must be a God who wants to have a real relationship with his people. That's a God who can break down the walls. That's a God who can break down division. That's a God who I want to follow because as I watch his children and how they live as one and live unified and come together for the purposes of Christ, I can tell that this is a great and powerful and mighty God. And when we divide ourselves, we do just the opposite. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And as we do, I'd like you to think about a couple of things. You might be sitting here this morning and saying to yourself, I know that there are people 
that I am not doing a good job of welcoming. I know we're going to go in the fellowship hall and we'll get into our circles and it'll probably be the same circle we got into last Sunday. And some of that is good. We have friends. That's good. But some of that keeps us from having to get to know new people. Keeps us from having to welcome new people into our circle. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning and the Holy Spirit's saying to you, listen, uh, there are certain places, certain people that you need to do a better job of welcoming. Maybe you're not outright mean, but you're avoiding. And maybe this morning would be a morning that you would take a moment just to tell God you're sorry. And ask God to show you how you could unify the body of Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel outside of the tribe. In fact, it's gotten to the point that you're saying, you know what, I'm just going to try a different place or I'm just not going to come anymore at all. Many of us have done that before in our lives. We've been a part of a body of Christ and then we've said, you know what, no one likes me here. I'm the outsider. I'll just go somewhere else. Please don't. We need you here. And if we're not welcoming you well, that's on us. And we need to do better. So please give us that chance. In just a moment, I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing a couple songs. And while we do, if you're here this morning and there's something that you would like someone to pray with you for, my wife and I are going to be up at the front, and Justin and Elin are also going to be up at the front. Please come and pray with us in these last few songs. And also, there's a prayer wall on the, in the back where we write our requests and we hang them up on that wall. You can walk back there and you can pray for some of the requests on the wall. You can leave a request yourself, and we'll be praying for you throughout the week. But let's take advantage of the time we have together. God, I thank you. Thank you that your love is not exclusive to some, but your love is for all. God, thank you that you welcomed me in as your son. And God, thank you that you welcome each and every person in this room into a relationship with you. God, help us to be the kind of people who do not segregate and who do not divide and do not stay in our own little tribes just so we're comfortable, but help us to do what you've asked us to do, to do the hard work of welcoming each other well so that you might be glorified and we might remember that Jesus Christ didn't come for some, he came for all. Help us to live out that purpose well. Help us to bring you glory in the way we treat one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m., or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.